How would you like to spend less time on payroll? How would you like to improve your client experience? How would you like to be a hero to your clients' understaffed HR and IT functions? How would you like to get your clients' discounts on apps like Slack, Zoom, or Dropbox? How would you like a $100 Amazon gift card? Stay tuned to learn more from our sponsor, Rippling, later in the episode. I'm going to do math on the show, 235 divided by 745. That's $315 a return. If you just did people's normal returns, you could charge $400 a return and make way more money. This makes no sense. This is He's the dumbest person ever. Well, that's because he's a tax repairer, so he's undercharging for his fraud. <laughs> that's, it's, right? Yeah, there you horrible. go. Like, All right. It, but but we, going back to, so this goes back to like regulating them. So because he had his legit business on the front end, he probably could have been regulated. Yeah, yeah. And then this fraud would still happen. So I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the, the deterrent everybody thinks it's going to be. Today is Friday, October 8th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. We're recording on a Friday, David. What? Why? Why, why are you making me do this? I'm going on a real vacation, Blake. I'm going to Cancun. Cancun? So wow. I'm checking out, checking out. I, I, I probably won't even look at accounting news. I definitely am not going to record a podcast. Well, here's my question. Are you taking your devices with you? I will have a tablet. I have a football game to watch Sunday night when I get there. I'm already figuring out different strategies, like how to watch this game. Important, important priorities I have when I get down there. Hey, we got a voicemail, and I thought maybe it would be nice to start with that. Yeah. Hi, Blake and David. It's John here. I'm a CPA. I'm from New York, and I'm a little behind on episodes, so forgive me if this content is no longer relevant. I just wanted to chime in on the CPA license conversation. Like Blake, I am a second career CPA. I had an MBA first and somehow ended up working in accounting and liking it. While I was working in accounting, I I realized I was not able to move up in any accounting role. And I thought it must be because I don't have the CPA. So finally, after deliberating, should I do it? Should I not? I finally decided I'm going to go for the CPA. Uh, Like Blake, I also had to go back to school. I had 150 credits because I already had a master's, but I was missing the a certain number of accounting credits. So I had to go back to school. I went back to undergrad school. I did it online and got the missing credits. Then I had to apply to NASBA and transcripts from so many places. It was a headache, but finally NASBA approved me. My all-in time was two and a half years from decision till CPA license and while having three kids at home, three little ones. And my all-in cost was $8,500. So yeah, pretty high, pretty high cost. But personally, I think it's worth it. I, I, you know, I got a another position pretty soon after I got my license. And to me, the investment was definitely worth it. So I definitely think it's worth it. I would definitely recommend it to everyone who's thinking about it to just go for it. Yes, the cost is high. Yes, the exam is brutal. But, you know, to keep the profession at a high standard, we have to keep the barrier high. So that's my opinion. And that's my story. Thanks for listening. And I really enjoy the show and keep up the great work. Thanks, guys. That's a good call. I actually was waiting for the buildup, I thought when he started the call, he was going to end it with, and I got my CPA and I still didn't get promoted or <laughs> my career didn't go up for it. I, yeah. I felt like he was setting the stage for that. So it's great to hear yeah. at the end it worked out. I agree. It is worth it. It is definitely worth it to get your CPA. I think the problem is that we do a really bad job of 
explaining that to people or making that obvious to potential CPA candidates. And then the work-life balance when you're an accountant at the beginning of your career is terrible and it's very, very difficult. And I'll reiterate what I've said on previous episodes. I don't think we should make it easier to be a CPA, but I do think that we should make it less expensive and that we should make it take less time. The standard should be high. It should be difficult. You should have to have a strong body of knowledge, but how does making it expensive help? It just deters people who who don't have the financial resources to do it, and that often includes disadvantaged groups. The the whole going back to school thing, I, I haven't met a single person who thought that the 150 hours was good. It's a red tape and expensive. Hoop, yeah. Yeah. John Jonathan wrote in his email, he sent us this in a voicemail, a voice message. And in the email that's attached, he said the education was $5,100 of that $8,500. So just cutting out that education requirement, which is pointless because it doesn't have to be in accounting. People just have to buy credits from universities. If you got rid of that and just kept the rigor of the exam so that people had to learn the material, they'd learn the material without having to pay money to a bureaucracy, <laughs> an overpriced college. My solution is just get rid of the fifth year. The fifth year adds no value. And I'd love to hear from any listeners who think it does. I think the only way that it would add value is if you had required courses in accounting. So you got to go either one way or the other. You got to require advanced accounting courses or you got to drop it because otherwise it's just a hoop to jump through that doesn't add value. I got one more CPA related story. This was in accounting today. The headline is CPA firms lay out top issues in 2021 and beyond. It is a summary of survey data from the AICPA's private companies practice section. They regularly survey CPA firms of all sizes and in all regions of the US about the most significant challenges they face. So what are the most significant challenges that CPA firms face? Well, it's all the stuff you've been hearing for years, finding and retaining talent, keeping up with tax law and regulatory changes amid COVID relief programs, challenges working with the IRS, emerging technologies and managing a hybrid workforce. So nothing has changed. Nothing is different. It's all the same challenges that firms have been having for years now. Yeah, I, I had this article as well. And I questioned bringing it to the show because I was like, this is just what we talk about every single week. Like, well, there's nothing new yeah. or eye-opening in this. <laughs> and there are obvious solutions. There are obvious solutions and ways to solve these problems. Finding and retaining talent. Okay, well, maybe don't make it terrible to work at your firm. Maybe don't overwork your hires. Ditch those timesheets if you need to. That would give you more time to keep up with the tax law if you're not overwhelmed. Challenges in working with the IRS. We talked about the IRS is underfunded. Like there's only so much you can do to complain. Like maybe advocate for increasing the IRS budget so they can hire more people. Like <laughs> just I mean, I, I think know the else. new thing here on this is managing a hybrid workforce because we know historically firms weren't didn't have hybrid employees. Like this uh, is kind of a new problem for them, right? Well, but they always did though, like you said in the last episode. We've had remote auditors and consultants for years and years, people living in hotels, and we've managed those people effectively. So so it's not managing a hybrid workforce. It's just firms are not very good at managing, large firms in particular are not good at managing people. And so the reason they struggle to retain talent is because they are poor at managing and the best people say, this isn't worth my time. 
and I'm going to go to some other profession or industry. Or start my own firm. Or start my is, own firm. Because it's it's the the math. The risk of you starting your own firm is probably so low versus yes. trying to work your way to be partner in a different firm. The odds are probably better for you to do it on your own. These days, it's so easy to start a firm. All you need is a laptop. It used to be you had to make this big financial investment in an office and a bunch of equipment and support staff. And now you don't need that anymore. Anyone can go start their own firm. So the partner model hasn't adapted to that reality. That's part of the problem. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dark Horse CPAs. Creating a CPA firm from scratch is hard. Scaling it is even harder, and doing it alone sucks. Instead of struggling to build the clientele from scratch, why not join a firm that guarantees you'll build a six-figure book in less than six months and will pay you a six-figure salary while you're building? Instead of running your own firm, why not join a firm that's built everything you know your practice needs to serve your clients better and scale your book of business? Dark Horse CPAs is democratizing the best resources hoarded by the most successful firms so that practitioners can compete with the best, provide more value to clients, and make a better living in the process. If you want to learn more or to watch a video about improving your accounting career with Dark Horse, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash darkhorse. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-A-R-K-H-O-R-S-E. We mentioned the IRS. There's another story, endless stories here, about how the IRS service levels continue to plummet. And it's hard to imagine them getting worse, but apparently they did. This headline is, service levels hit new lows at Swamped IRS. So they still have this giant backlog of paper tax returns, 5.5 million Form 1040s, and over 4 million business returns that have been opened but not processed. And their goal is to process all the paper returns by the end of the year except there's another 4 million returns coming in by mid-October. So they're, they're not able to actually reduce the backlog because they got behind and they can't catch up. I'm surprised so, the third-party company has not offered to do this as a service for the IRS. Maybe Cloud Accounting Podcast LLC, we will work with the IRS, and for X amount of money, we'll get all our friends to burn through these paper returns for them. Well, this seems like a perfect sweet consulting opportunity for one of those big consulting firms, right? Release out your employees at inflated prices and uh, help them work through the backlog. Yeah. Like instead of Deloitte helping states build vaccine tracking websites, help the IRS create a system and plow through these tax returns. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, of course, they're still sending out all the notices, but they're behind on the returns. So you get this snowball effect where the notices aren't caught up to what's actually happening. And so Nothing makes sense. It's you're being you're you're told you're late. This is late. You know this. Even though you sent fine, in the payment, even though it's they sitting there on their desk, they haven't opened it. Yeah, or maybe they've opened it, but they haven't deposited it, or maybe they haven't processed it, which causes people to call in and <clears throat> makes the phone tied up. And yeah, this is just yeah. not a good system. Yeah, yeah. Since we're on the IRS, I'm just going to get through my backlog of stuff. Okay, so here's one. Apparently, the IRS didn't spot 20.6 million in bogus non-resident tax refunds. This is according to a report by the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration, the auditor of the uh, IRS. And so, yeah, apparently they didn't check whether or not these individual international tax returns were real 
or a fraudulent. And so they sent $20.6 million overseas to people who just people who just said, hey, let's try and file a tax return like we're US citizens and we'll get money. So there, there's $20.6 million out the door. So tying this together, a little bit of the IRS, a little bit of the, the fraud, and tying into you know the whole reasoning, the IRS wants people to um, get certified. They want, mm-hmm. they want some sort of certification or badge or certified tax preparer. What do they, they want to call it again? They want to regulate tax preparers. Yeah. They want to, they want to yeah, require you to pass a test. And and so when I saw this, first I thought, oh, this is why they, sh- they need to regulate people. Then I started reading this article more and I'm thinking maybe that wouldn't have helped. And let me get into that. So first off, the title of the article is great because you know there's Florida Man. Like if you Google Florida Man, yeah, you get all a those meme. crazy stories, right? Like the, the original meme before memes existed was Florida Man. Florida Man. So the yeah. headline is Florida Man filed 745 tax returns in four years collecting 235,000 in bogus refunds. 235,000? Yeah. 235,000, which is actually not a lot. So it turns out this is actually a tax preparer. It's always an unlicensed tax preparer who does this stuff. But he had, he had a legitimate practice called Max Tax Experts, LLC. And then he had a separate- Illegitimate practice? practice? <laughs> a separate practice called Wingate Tax Services. Okay. And so what he was doing between 20, uh, January 2015 to December 2018, he was basically- taking his uh, client's socials, full names, et cetera, filing phony returns for them, setting up, he opened up 70 bank accounts, the names of his clients. So he basically, he just steered fake returns, fake refunds into his own fake bank accounts that he had in control over. But mm-hmm. like, if you're going to do, it just, it seems like he basically filed 745 returns in 19 different states. And How many returns? His, uh 745 tax returns in 19 different states. It seems like a lot of work for $235,000. And so he would steal the identities of his clients and then file the returns and get their refunds? Yes. Well, yeah. he would he would file a complete fake return. Yeah. Right, right. Using their information. But well, that's very, this is common. Do this 745 like... real returns and maybe make 200 grand? <laughs> like, like I'm trying to understand, like, like the oh, math, yeah, like, yeah. like is he yeah. the dumbest, like, like if he actually just ran a business, yes, I, mean, I don't probably. Like if it was two point three million, I would. Yeah. All right, this guy's this pretty good use of his time. But I really yeah. question like, not not a good ROI, right, on the jail time. Yeah, he only got <laughs> sentenced um, four and a half years in prison, federal prison, which I'm really surprised it wouldn't be yeah. uh, more. This is the thing: we don't prosecute financial crime the way we should. Like if we really wanted to stamp out financial crime, we'd we'd prosecute it the same way we do. Other types of crime, you know, like drug crimes and stuff, but we don't because I don't know. <laughs> Lobbyists, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do math on the show. Two thirty-five divided by seven forty-five. That's three hundred fifteen dollars a return. If you just pr- did people's normal returns, you could charge four hundred dollars a return and make way more money. This makes no sense. This is he's the dumbest person ever. Well, that's because he's a tax preparer, so he's undercharging for his fraud. <laughs> It's, right? Yeah, it's there you horrible. go. Like, <laughs> All right. It, but but it, going back to, so l- this goes back to the, like regulating them. So because he had his legit business on the front end, he probably could have been regulated. Yeah, yeah. And then this fraud would still happen. So I don't necessarily know if that's going to be the, the deterrent everybody thinks it's going to be. Oh, yeah, that people are, have to pass an exam and stuff that's going to be deterrent to fraud? It might stop at some, at some but I, I mean, some people are really this lazy. Guy. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Well, hey, should we get into app news? We've got a bunch to talk about. Yeah, let's jump in. 
So I think the big news this week is Sage is buying UK proposal management software maker Go Proposal. I am not super familiar with Go Proposal. I did look at it. I started a trial at one point. I'm a practice ignition user, but I understand Go Proposal and practice ignition are kind of like the two apps that people look at when it comes to proposals. Oh, and PandaDoc. There's a few others, but those two are the ones that are Go Proposal and PI are the ones that are tuned into accounting. They're specifically for accounting. And I think Go Proposal also had some pricing tools in there. So you could like list all the apps you're going to use with the client and then figure out what the costs are and bake that part of your quote. So it wasn't oh, just oh, like yeah, yeah, a yeah. quote. Yeah, it was helping you price it, which yes. that's their unique thing that they do is actually to teach you how to price better. And that was because well, the founder, who, who started it? I forget who it is. He teaches accountants how to price and he has his own practice. So it's sort of a software outgrowth of his consultancy. It James seems. Ashford. James Ashford, yeah. So Sage acquired them. This is the fourth fintech investment by Sage in the last 12 months. So they're going to fold it into their efforts to build cloud-based practice management for accountants. It's available to accountants and bookkeepers in the UK, US, Australia, and Canada right now. They do the pricing proposal and engagement letter. And you and can see the clear March Sage is on, right? It's the, we'll help you get do the pricing, the quote, get the client, right? They bought auto entry, whatever, 18 months ago or so. And mm-hmm. that'll help you gather all the documents you need from your clients to some extent, scan them all in. And you can see where they're building a full end-to-end stack. Um, I think the only problem is the under the covers, they have this cluster of accounting systems. <laughs> yeah, how do you actually make them all work <laughs> like together? That, that's going to be the, the bigger issue. Um, I, mean, I mean, they drive everybody to Sage uh, Intact. That would make sense. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll. And now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, benefits, and IT all working together in an all-in-one modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this only takes 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work that you are offering your clients. Rippling offers a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, and white glove migrations from other just payroll systems as well as accountants' custom discounts on Rippling for their clients. To learn more how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Rippling. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G. And as a bonus, for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, Rippling is offering a $100 Amazon gift card for any listener that attends a demo. Rippling, everything your clients need. Zero has some new product news. Let's see what's new in Zero for October 2021. You can now change the font size of reports in Zero HQ to customize your PDFs even further. You can also now tailor your account transactions reports 
So you can exclude archived accounts, show opening balances on PL accounts, and show accounts with no transactions in a specific period. You can now search your list of bank rules. I think that is really helpful because as you create rules, they can get very, very long. That list of rules can get really, really long. So now you can search for specific bank rules. You now, can also they, view- Does mm -hmm. Zero have the ability to search across all your clients, the bank rules? Unfortunately, or no. Or the bank rules? No, no. And they promised a long time ago that you would be able to clone bank rules from one client to another. And I'm not sure if that ever happened. I feel Somebody like client said they're going to allow that too, or they did or didn't. I feel like, yeah, I, I've seen this now per, announced. Yeah. And it never um, happened. I, does I, it never I don't, exist? Okay. I don't think it exists. So like, I wonder what happened with that. It was like a promise that was made and both companies did it. They said they would anyway. You can now view purchase orders in the Zero Accounting app, the mobile app. So I guess you couldn't before view purchase orders that you'd created on your desktop in the mobile app. Oh, they've also updated the Square and Zero integration. It's a new one. And I'm not sure exactly what's done with it, but hopefully it's better than the existing. You are going <laughs> I to feel have like to it's a similar dance. QuickBooks and Intuitive's done with Square as well. Yeah. First well, they like a third party builds it, then Square builds it, then Intuit builds it, and then they kind of try to build it together and like nobody can ever actually build it well. What usually happens with these integrations is they build a basic one that brings in all the transactions, but then it's like really hard to reconcile everything because it's bringing in all the individual transactions. So then they finally figure that out and they automate it, which it looks like they've done here. I can't tell exactly from the blog post, but it looks like there's a summary sales invoice option. So instead of bringing in all the detail, you can just bring in the day of transactions for the point of sale. You can also accept Square payments on zero invoices. So if you're using Square as your processor, if you send an invoice from zero, you can now have them except the payment. And you're going to have to switch. The old integration goes away on November 30. You have to switch over to the new one. So be sure to do that so you don't lose data. There's also Google Pay on uh, Zero invoices as well. If you use Stripe as your online payment service on Zero invoices, the customer will have the option to make a payment using their Google Pay account. You can now show or hide invoice fields based on your preferences, control which invoice fields are shown. And they've redesigned the contacts in Zero, so that it's easier to see what's going on. This, I think, ties to this whole idea of accounting systems becoming CRMs, like starter CRMs for businesses. It really makes a lot of sense. If you're invoicing your customers, why not keep other data in there? And that's why uh, the Intuit MailChimp acquisition makes a ton of sense too, because MailChimp is basically a CRM. And that's it for zero. Did you see FreshBooks main acquisition? No. What so, did they buy? So they bought a German software provider called FastBill. And FastBill is basically cloud-based accounting and invoicing software. Basically, it's FreshBooks of Germany. Oh. So they bought that. Now, that's interesting because... You know, Dein, Dein Leben ist zu kurz für Papierkram und Bachhaltung. Blake showing off his, uh, some of his 150 <laughs> I took, hours. No, I took three years of German in high school. and I, I, It's pretty bad, actually. I should be able to pronounce it better than that. Uh, uh, it's just funny to read about accounting in German. It's actually the perfect language for accounting in many ways. So precise. Because it has such overlapping features, I wonder if this is just going to be a buy and a rebrand in the same way like how QuickBooks at one time when they were in Australia, it was just a rebrand of some other product that was in Australia. 
and it wasn't the actual QuickBooks code. And I wonder if that's, you know, back in the desktop days, if, if it's going to be that kind of a type of a play. And then it makes you wonder, like, are other cloud accounting packages going to do stuff like this? Because, yes, in theory, you should be able to take the same cloud product and make it perfect in every single market. But, like, Mexico is a perfect example of it's very hard to do. And so I wonder if this is going to be a trend where people are just going to buy something that's already in market and just, you know, skin it. Google Drive. Not a ton of accounting firms using Google Apps, but if you are, you might be excited to know that Google Drive is getting labels for your files. So in addition to folders, you can now add labels to your files. It's in beta. Administrators can apply for the Drive Labels beta program if they've signed up in their Google Workspace plan. Labels, which is, which, would I say tags and we're talking about the same thing in my brain? I think so. I think so. Each file can have five different labels applied to it. You can search for them easily that way. So I don't know. I'm trying to think of what a label might be. Maybe a particular tax form could be a label. And then I could just search for all those forms across all my clients, something like that. It makes sense, right? I mean, you can do that with email, with Gmail, right? Tags are great. I still insist they're completely underused in QuickBooks. And zero should add them as well, though. Well, the problem with QuickBooks is they're not exposed in the API, so yeah, they're limited that's the in what bigger, you can do yeah, with they're, them. They're yeah. extra useless because they're not in the API. <laughs> Another subscription billing and revenue package, so Chargebee, they now bought a reven, uh, an app called RevLock, which is a RevRec software developer. So all the big players in the automated SaaS subscription billing game, they now all own a RevRec product, hmm. which is, makes you kind of like wonder... Because the people that need the rev rack really are the accounts and bookkeepers. Well, right? or the in-house accounting teams that have to recognize all this revenue for their subscription businesses. Yeah. So I guess they're, they, they probably have been hearing that as a need of their product the whole, for, since they started their product and probably. And they just, they're all finally now, the domino fell, that they all, it's going to yeah. be just a basic expectation that revenue rack is handled properly by a subscription billing app. Because the three leaders just do it out of the box now. Well, speaking of recurring revenue, here's a new app. This is interesting. It's called Pipe. Pipe is a company that allows you to trade your recurring revenue stream for money up front. And you don't have to just be a software company. They will do it for a services business that has recurring revenue. They've got over 8,000 businesses on their trading platform and... A lot of the service businesses include businesses such as gyms and pest control, but why couldn't an accounting firm take advantage of this too? The website is pipe.com and I like their headline. It's get paid by the year, charged by the month or the quarter. And so these are like, it's loans, basically. They're factoring it, right? They're they're, they're paying yeah. you. They're paying you up front for what the annual recurring revenue is. Then they take a fee. Every month, right? They you pay them the, the recurring monthly revenue. So they're converting your monthly recurring revenue or your quarterly recurring revenue into an upfront annual payment, which is great because then you can use that money for growth, and it's probably at a much better rate than a credit card or some other type of loan because it's secured by that recurring revenue stream. So this is like this whole trend to in fintech and loans, where it's micro risk based. So this is why apps like the, uh, what do you call them? The buy now, pay later are disrupting credit cards. They're just they're disrupting credit cards because it's very risky to give someone a credit card. It's not very risky to give somebody a 
what is essentially a micro loan for a $200 purchase. That's super not risky. So they've figured out how to remove a lot of the risk and the fees are lower and everyone's happier until the whole thing comes crashing down because all of a sudden nobody can pay back their buy now pay later is because they've, you know, they've over saturated. That, that, that's and, a problem for the payday lenders to worry about. They're the ones that are going to feel the brunt of that more than anybody. Yeah. Well, and us when they take down the economy, right? because <laughs> they've, they've then created the equivalent of mortgage backed securities using all of these buy now pay laters and it's a house of cards, right? Yeah. Like, yeah $48 I, that's eventually where this could, it could, you could see it getting there potentially because nobody has visibility then into anything. So I'm assuming this pipe, the way it works is you hook it up to your QuickBooks, your zero, it looks at all your transactions and then projects it out. Or do you just tell it like, by the way, Tesla's my customer. They're paying me this much a month. They had, I, I'm not sure how they verify this on their end to make this safer for them. I don't know either. I imagine it would be plug into your file and let's look at your recurring invoices. I mean, Zero has this concept of recurring invoices. They, they so connect quick to QuickBooks, yeah. Zero, yeah. and NetSuite. So QuickBooks has recurring invoices, right? NetSuite definitely does. So you could just like look at those and say, okay, select this recurring invoice, pay me up front, and now I've got a pay later back to pipe for the rest of the year. Keep an eye on that. It looks very, very interesting. Hey, remember how last week we were talking about my struggles with uh, SMS and switching from Apple to Android? Yes. SMS is actually a huge security risk because hackers can get your two-factor codes that you get via text messages by hacking into your phone account. And they get, like, there's something called SIM hacking where they steal your phone number, where they get they call up Verizon and they get Verizon to swap your number over to their phone, stuff yeah, like that. That's why you should call Verizon or T-Mobile and say, you're only allowed to make changes in my account if I go to a physical office with my driver's license. Yeah, or you at least set up a PIN, you know, yeah. and you like there's a second code that you have to give them and which I've done, right? I've sec- and, and you can lock your phone from being transferred to another provider. There's ways to do that online. Anyway, the reason I brought this up is because 6,000 Coinbase customers, Coinbase is a cryptocurrency wallet. They got hacked through a multi-factor authentication flaw in Coinbase's implementation of this. So Coinbase has SMS-based multi-factor where you log in and then they send you a code to your phone and you put in the code. Normally, a hacker couldn't get in with just your password because they'd have to have your phone. Well, these hackers figured out how to hack into Coinbase and exploit a weakness that sent the SMSs to their phones. Now, if you were using something else, which is superior, which is Google Authenticator or LastPass Authenticator, which uses those QR codes and the codes on your phone, that would not be possible. And people have been warning about this for years now, that SMS is, it's still better than nothing, but it's not perfect. And so this is an advisory to everyone listening. If you've got stuff on SMS security, like financial stuff, switch it over to an authenticator if you can. And there's plenty of easy ones to get. You can use yeah, the Google like, one. I use Microsoft, which I like. There's uh, LastPass. All, all the password apps do it now, right? They do. And they'll back up your codes as well. So like if you, like me, when I lost my phone, I could just restore my codes. I didn't have to go and reset. Microsoft too, password. same thing. Yep. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. Do you struggle to get answers from clients? Is it a chore reminding your clients to send over the information you need to do your job? Introducing ClientHub, 
an award-winning practice management solution for accountants looking to build better client relationships for a more profitable firm. ClientHub's all-in-one solution combines task management with client communication in one place, meaning you get what you need from clients to unblock workflow and get jobs completed on time. Your clients will love the easy-to-use ClientHub web portal and mobile app. Your team will love ClientHub's automated task management. Each month, ClientHub tasks your clients with whatever you need from them. You can even automatically ask your clients about uncategorized QuickBooks transactions. With ClientHub, tasks and messages are in one place, keeping your staff and clients always in the loop. Nothing falls through the cracks. ClientHub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners. 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clienthub. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. Here's some updates from Sage Intact. Sage Intact has updated contracts and subscription billing. Oh, hey, so it ties into what we were just talking <laughs> about with recurring revenue. All these companies have issues now with revenue recognition because what you have to do in accounting, a gap with RevRec doesn't match necessarily the, the payment flow from the customer, right? If you get an annual recurring payment, you got to recognize that every month or every quarter or whatever. So now the invoices in Intact support businesses who use a reseller model. So you can use, you can group invoices by a bill to dimension to push out invoices faster. That's a very specific change. If you're, so if you're a reseller, if you have a reseller model for your business, Intact is now enhanced. I don't quite understand everything, but that's the well, takeaway. Well, they probably had to do that because you know Intact's model? It's a, well, yeah, it's a, a reseller model. So they probably had to build it in-house. So like, Let's turn yeah. it on for everybody. They also now support committed usage billing, which bills customers for committed quantity at specified rate that you can configure on a line level based on your company's billing methods. Oh, that's... Uh, Quite nitty gritty there. <laughs> so I guess that's if you know you have a minimum that people buy, and so you want to make sure that you invoice them the minimum. Uh, they have more accurate inventory tracking. Oh, this one's interesting. So this is if you're using Intact to manage inventory and you've got multiple warehouses and you need to transfer inventory from one warehouse to another warehouse, you can now... Uh, exclude inventory that's in transit from your inventory. So you don't accidentally sell something that's in motion and is not available to be sold. Isn't that neat? Like these are the, these are the nerdy detailed things that ERP systems do that you're not ever going to get in a QuickBooks. So that's visual. tied to your online shopping cart. And so when that shirt is being moved between two warehouses, nobody can buy that shirt. And then when it gets to the new warehouse, in theory, you have website uploads, updates, and the shirt's available again. And that would make a lot of sense if you've got a warehouse in China and one here in the U.S. and somebody in the U.S. wants to buy a shirt. You don't want to sell them one that's in China and is not going to get here for a month. Or if something goes wrong. There's yeah, an yeah. accident or the, the merchandise gets ruined during transfer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a really right. sm- it's very really logical, neat, huh? actually, why nobody's done this in the past. Yeah. They're also enhancing their automated transaction matching on their bank feeds. So this is this is similar to what you get in Zero and QuickBooks that has not existed in Sage Intact as advanced. So this is basically bank rules. So setting filters now to match the document number of a Sage Intact transaction to an incoming bank transaction with the same number. You can configure a rule at that level. 
and automate your reconciliation. And you can also do grouping such as many to many, many to one, one to many matching to cover all the scenarios. So for instance, you've got a credit card deposit. You want to automatically match all the credit card transactions for that processor to that deposit. You can create a rule for that. And I don't think that exists in QuickBooks or Zero. No. Last thing, then I'm done. GL outlier detection. This is something that Sage has been working on for a while. It's an AI, artificial intelligence, that proactively identifies journal entries that are that are outliers, entries that might not be right based on what you've done in the past. So you can visually see, here's the highlighted journal entries that you should look at, and then investigate the anomalies. So maybe the amount is way higher or way lower than it's ever been. And this is a recurring entry that happens frequently. Maybe somebody and, fat fingered and a zero. that's going to be, I, I think, something very valuable for the intact, Sage Intact audience, right? Because they, those businesses are a little bit more established and the patterns are probably more established. But like a small business that's on QuickBooks, it's all over the board, right? They get a big invoice this month from a customer and they go two months with nothing. Like an algorithm <laughs> like that would just start flagging everything as a defect. Well, you know, I think it actually would be helpful for small businesses in the, just in the area of, of payables. Like if you get a bill from a vendor and every bill from that vendor has always been $1,000 and you suddenly get a bill for $10,000, it's probably because the vendor added an extra zero by accident. And it wouldn't be that hard for an AI to look at, oh, the last 12 bills every month have been $1,000 and this one's 10000 Maybe you shouldn't pay this without looking at it. Yeah, and, and it, an easy way to do that, right, is to weight the font size in the in, in the screen. Just what? make it a bigger font. Make what a bigger font? The, 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 the dollar numbers. So oh, you yeah. you know you can yeah, instantly yeah. see it because the oh the number is way bigger than it usually is. Or or a big arrow that says hey idiot you know look at this don't pay this something. don't pay this this exceeds yeah. what's in your bank account don't pay this. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're done with app news, I have a kind of a follow up story. You know, we talked about the industrial complex of. You know, you work for the firm, then you go to the treasury, get a job, you get the legislation you need to pass, you move back to the firm, your partner, boom. Another term is the uh, big four revolving door. Yes. And this all about stems this. from that big New York Times report two weeks ago that we yes. talked about on the show. Well, they, our, and they documented 35 instances of this revolving door. And then in half of those instances, the director or manager who went back to that big four firm after doing a one or two year stint at the treasury or whatever, got promoted to partner. And sometimes it and, was like nine months, super fast yeah. turnaround. And it was very obvious what they had done. They had gone in there, they had gotten the rules or regulations put in place that would benefit their clients. And they had gone straight back to the firm that they worked at before and got rewarded. Like, well, of course, super got the attention now. Of, <laughs> of, of our favorite senator. Elizabeth Warren is shocked by that this is going on. And she wrote a letter. So Elizabeth Warren and House Rep Pramila Jayapa, Democrat from Washington, they sent letters to the CEOs of Deloitte, PwC, EY, and KM, KPMG, and RSM telling them to stop. <laughs> uh, that'll work. And if they don't stop, they're threatening to push through and work on an ethics bill, blah, blah, blah. Well, they should do that anyway, because it's not going to stop unless they do that. But well, they I think got we a letter. Know, you know, It's not going to happen. Maybe they... And that's going to scare them. So, yeah. Anyways, it's, this is this story is not going away because it's bad, right? It's a bad story. 
I think I think honestly, actually, this one will go away because it's it's kind of boring. Right? It's just it's tax law. It's nitty gritty tax deduction stuff. Congress can't even raise the debt ceiling without a big debate. <laughs> like, I don't think this will ever get out of committee. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, plus, it, you you got to follow the math, right? Follow the money or the math. The, the money and the math, right? I think KPMG had forty five billion dollars in revenue last year. I think yeah. I saw that announced somewhere. Yeah. So it's they, they donate a lot to politicians. I'm sure. Maybe that's what this letter really is. Will you donate to me? Hey, well, since we're getting back into politics, let's talk about this IRS reporting plan that people have been freaking out about. I saw this on Facebook where somebody was complaining that, oh, the IRS, they're going to make banks, your bank is going to have to report every transaction over $600 to the IRS. Okay, because the logic is just like people have to get W-2s, people have to get 1099s that banks should report the deposits because we don't really know on a business if it's really been deposited, what those deposits are, if they actually showed up onto a business return somewhere. Right. This is going back to that whole tax gap story that we've been reporting on, which is the Biden administration says that there is a multi-billion dollar tax gap, not just multi-billion dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars tax gap. And it's because wage income gets reported to the IRS. So there's Great compliance, ninety high ninety percent compliance on people paying taxes on their wages, whereas business income most of that doesn't get reported. Yes, we have ten ninety nines for contractor payments. We have K ones, and we have some of this, but the a lot of it doesn't get reported to the IRS. And so the only way they ever find out about it is they audit you and get your bank statements. And we all know how there aren't that many audits that happen, right? So it's very easy to hide income. And so one of the plans of the Biden administration was, the plan was, and this was stupid. The the $600 number was stupid. They never should have said this number, but the plan was report inflows and outflows of bank accounts to the IRS so they can flag the ones that don't seem to line up with any reported income. Like where the, the inflows and the outflows don't match anything they've gotten tax returns. Now, there's a question as to how they would ever even do that, but that was the idea. And what this has turned into politically is big brother is going to demand all the information on your bank statement. But like that was never what was going to happen. I think it was always just the inflows and outflows annually. And the banks would report those over a certain threshold. And then people complained about the 600. So now I think it's the proposal is 10,000 or that's what people have been talking about anyway, like Janet Yellen and whatever. So the idea is if, it, if your bank account has inflows and outflows greater than $10,000, then they're going to send that to the IRS. So the IRS can like use that data to try and find tax evaders. But of course, people are getting really worked up about this. And I'm not saying I agree with that, but it's been, it's been mischaracterized as like a 1099 for every transaction, which is definitely not what it is. But it's a great example of how like, it's impossible to have a rational discussion about this stuff in America these days, because it just it gets distorted into something it's completely not. Even the tax rule. Even this, even these stupid little, yeah, well, it's not a little rule, but it would be a big change. But yeah, I just given how much um, pushback this has gotten, like you see the, the pitchforks coming out, like, I don't think it'll ever happen. It'll just, it'll probably die along with a bunch of these other proposals. But if it does happen, we're not talking about every transaction. It's net inflows and outflows over $10,000 a year. 
is what it's supposed to be anyway. Uh, in theory, it should it should in theory stamp out major fraud because there's yep. going to be a reconciliation between okay, there's this business here with this business bank account that had this much, but we did their tax return. No. Yeah, Balance it's like their in their inflows are match. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, they they had uh, ten million dollars of inflows, but they only reported you know a million dollars in, in of revenue or something like this. Yeah. Like there's some obvious stuff they could do there. After they file all the paper returns. Yeah. But like this whole idea that like, oh, this is a giant overreach because the IRS just wants a lot of personal data and stuff. They've already got our W-2s, our <laughs> 1099s, right? Like that's that's way more personal than this. But, you know, if you're cheating on your taxes, this is not welcome. That's for sure. I mean, and, and maybe it should be the other way. Like if people really don't want the IRS to check on them, maybe they should push down a law where they just have bank fee- they just get a bank feed of everybody's transactions and let <laughs> the them just IRS. deal with it <laughs> they'll just be overwhelmed that's right they have everybody's bank feeds uh, uh, the could just why don't they just work with plaid mm-hmm. yeah just uh, turn plaid into a government organization yeah and they have everything be. we don't know <laughs> we don't know right yeah it could be they could be selling they should just plaid they should just license plaid's uh, bank feed data it'd just be a customer it'd just be a customer of plaid then they then they'd be able to find the fraud all right. On that note, we should probably wrap up. I'd like to go on vacation here. Cancun. Oh, I'm so jealous. Like, what are you going to do when you're there? What do you like to do on vacation, David? Well, first it takes like three days to like relax, but mm-hmm. I probably am just going to eat and drink. Like, I don't want to have to make any decisions. So you're like a pool beach. Like I just sit by the pool and get drinks and food brought to me kind of person. Yeah. If I try to check out, that's the ideal situation. Okay. I don't okay. need an adventure here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I, I I totally support that. Like I'm a big like go on vacation, relax kind of person. I I don't want my vacation to stress me out. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to schedule, right? I, that's yeah, yeah. every minute of my day is scheduled out from four twenty till ten thirty at night. Like why do I want to go yeah. on vacation and have like every little minute planned out? Yeah. Seems, uh, well that's because you work for a startup, right? If you had a boring job where you were just like crunching numbers all day long, you'd probably want an adventure. Right. But even but even it's just normal life, right? You've, yeah. You've kids. You get to. There's normal life. Just eats up your whole day of schedules and yeah. where you got to be at what time. I just. Yeah. I don't want to think. I want the decision I want to make is like, would you like two shrimp cocktails? I'm like, yes. That's that's the decision. <laughs> is that even I a want. decision? That's not a decision. That's yeah, an easy. It's one. always yes. It's always yes. They stop asking me these questions. Yes, I'll take two drinks. Yes. I've got one more story to take us out. This is a fun one. Have you followed this whole free Britney story, and her conservatorship? No, but I do have a podcast downloaded that may be a good vacation listening. Jamie Spears, Britney Spears' father, has been her conservator for a long time, ever since she had that whole public uh, mental health crisis. And he is now out. And there's a new conservator in place. And it is a CPA. His name is John Zabel. He is a licensed certified public accountant He studied accounting at CSU Long Beach as an undergraduate in the 1980s. He then later completed the executive management program at UCLA in the 1990s. Zabel's first major job was working as a senior auditor for Ernst & Young from 1981 to 1984. He served as senior vice president of Sony Pictures Entertainment from 1984 to 1995. And then he moved on to work as an executive vice president and chief financial officer for Mandalay Entertainment. So he's quite an experienced accounting finance guy, and he's now going to be managing the finances as the conservator for Britney Spears. Well, not just that. Like, he obviously has worked in the industry. 
the entertainment yes. industry, music industry, and he'll be able to probably negotiate and help her with her contracts and mm-hmm. make sure she's getting paid what she's supposed to be paid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's a double win pie for her. So what's interesting about conservatorship in California is that it's both financial and personal, like medical and well-being and all that. And so Zabel is just going to do the financial. There's another conservator, Jody Montgomery, who will take care of the singer's day-to-day well-being and medical care. And that's it for me. So so just to rewind on that story. So she mm-hmm. broke free of her dad's control, mm-hmm. but she doesn't get to really just do it on her own. It's just get handed off to somebody else. I think it's difficult to end a conservatorship. I don't think it's very easy once there's one in place. Interesting. Because a conservatorship basically says that you are not capable as an adult to manage your affairs. Like It's not easy to get out of one. But there are millions of people who have these. It's it's a big thing. Uh, and it's not very well known, I, I think, outside of maybe the accountants who do it for clients and the legal profession. Um, she, she didn't get free free, I guess. No, so that's the not free free. free so the, free, free. the hashtag free Britney is still out there. Hopefully it's with somebody better this time. Yeah, somebody that, you know. It's a CPA. I mean, she, has to be better. Uh, CPA, right? yeah, exactly. Jeez. Be better. All right, well, have a great time in Cancun and have a shrimp cocktail for me. We'll see you back here next week. Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50-plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.